bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. Today, we have a fabulous episode for you with our guest, Janice Ellig. Janice is the CEO of Ellig Group, which supports executive search recruiting efforts for C-suite and boardroom leaders, particularly focusing on diversity in recruiting. Business Week calls her one of the most influential headhunters, and she's the co-author of two books, Driving the Career Highway and What Every Successful Woman Knows. Welcome, Janice. Thank you very much, Diane. I'm delighted to be with you today. Yeah. And the LA Group is delighted to be featured. So thank you very much. Oh, we're excited to have you. And I have to share, you had such an impact on my career. And now as I coach other leaders uh, from reading your first book, uh, What Every Successful Woman Knows, talking about ba- breakthrough strategies to get the power and ignite your career, especially the piece around navigating um, the politics, internal politics. I, I, I clearly remember reading that and thinking, I got to change the way I think about these politics. And it was actually when I was helping out with a women's development group uh, for McDonald's High Potential Leaders. And I thought, this is a much better way of describing, you know, the whole politics and, and what you need to do. You just had a great way and you have a great way of giving really practical, applicable advice. So thank you for the impact you made with me. A pleasure. You're very important to um, men, women, underrepresented groups, really, you know, climbing that proverbial corporate ladder because you are helping them to face what is very unexpected at times and they don't know what what to look for. So coaches, executive coaches are really important to people trying to move up the corporate ladder. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to help people grow and to give back because I was very blessed to have some wonderful mentors that helped uh, give me some practical advice and some coaching when I needed it. So, But before we get into today's topic, I wanted you to share a little bit about your background and what brought you to the place you're in today. So I spent um, over 20 years in corporate America in the healthcare field, pharmaceuticals, and then financial services and helped to take a company public. And when I was um, writing the book, What Every Successful Woman Knows, I saw that a number of highly talented women and underrepresented groups had less of a voice than they should have at the table And so that led me into saying after a great corporate career in human resources and marketing, and you get to a point in the corporate world where you say, I've done that. Now, what's my next chapter? And having written those books, uh, I felt that my next chapter was going to be in executive search, helping executives, particularly women and underrepresented groups, get to those higher levels in corporate America. Because I've interviewed them. I knew that they were there. There was a great pipeline, strong talent, but they just weren't getting that seat at the table with a voice. And so that's really what led me uh, to executive search. It was a natural progression from corporate into now running my own business in the executive search field. 
Yeah. Well, maybe just tell us a little bit about your your business because it's very impressive and that it's run by women and just to give our audience a little bit more texture. Yeah, delighted. So the business was actually started in 1977 uh, by Bill Gould and Millie McCoy. They'd come from two of the largest search firms at the time. And it was always focused on really uh, serving the client and not just filling a box, but understanding where the client was today and where they were going to go. And I joined them in 2000 and became Gould McCoy Chaddock and Ellick. Um, and then in about 2007, the founding partners had retired and it became Chaddock Ellig. And when Susan Chaddock um, left to primarily focus on coaching, not search, uh, I relaunched the firm under Ellig Group in 2017 and, and expanded the platform. So we have a legacy over, you know, 43 years now of really servicing clients. The focus that we have is really putting more women and underrepresented groups into the C-suite, which is the highest level uh, positions, and people who are under those C-suite uh, levels, and in the boardroom. So over um, 85% of our boardroom positions are women in underrepresented groups. And then in the C-suite, we are 75% plus women in underrepresented groups. So it's, it's an unparalleled level that we um, aspire to because we understand that the, we do not have enough diverse representation in decision-making at the top. And it's, it's proven that more heterogeneous groups, even if they're less skilled, make better decisions than more homogeneous groups. Um, Professor Michael Page, University of Michigan, wrote a great book, The Difference. And you can read this wonderful studies, that, all the studies he's done. You must have diversity around the table if you want to be more innovative and uh, really be a cutting edge company and financially as well as reputationally. So our company is really focused on that. And that's what we've been doing for many years and, and certainly since we relaunched um, in uh, 2017. So you talked about, you know, this opportunity still to get more diverse individuals at the top of the organizations and really throughout the organizations. Could you share with our listeners, you know, where do we stand today? Because I remember, gosh, it's got to be 20 years ago when I first started to focus on top level kind of leadership roles and saw how low the percentage of women and minorities were. I was shocked. But then as I look at statistics today, in a lot of cases, we haven't made that much progress. So are there any numbers that you could share with people just to give them an understanding of the landscape? Absolutely. So if you look at the S&P 500 or Fortune 500, there are 25% of the seats currently are held by women. So 75% are held by men. And if you look at the women of color, it's below 5%. So representation of women, women of color, men of color, I think is below 12%. It's very low. And the pipeline for individuals qualified is, I believe, is there because over the past 20 years, we have been, we've had women and underrepresented groups in the pipeline. But the focus or intentionality and in saying we must look at openings and really build bench strength and then consider people for those opportunities who are, do not look like us, meaning Caucasian men. If you look at Catalyst, they looked at women on boards in 1995. Uh, it was 
and now it's 25%. So it's moving less than 1% a year, just a little bit over half a percent, less than 1% a year of women on boards. And that is just not acceptable. The point is, they always say, well, you need to have term limits. Not really. If you look at every other opening and you say filling it with a qualified man or woman, well, every other opening then being a woman, you could get to parity by 2025. Because women hold about 1,000 seats now, a little bit over that, of the 5,000 S&P 500 seats. In the next six years, if you fill every other opening and there are 400 openings, you give 200 of those to qualified women. In six years, that's 1,200 plus the 1,000 they have. You're at about 22, 2,400 seats of the 5,000. You're there. So it's all about looking at your openings and saying, we need to build bench strength to fill those openings. Let's start today. And what people say is, I don't see any qualified women. Well, if you start looking today, over time, in the next six years, you can fill those seats and get to parity. It's really a simple math. <laughs> I marvel at how people say it can't be done. By 2025, we could be at parity. And then that cascades, Diana, down to the C-suite and all levels below. Because people tend to hire in their own image. So if you have enough diversity at the top, you have more women, you have more people of color, you have more international focus, they will hire and introduce the company to people like them. So then you have great diverse panels. We work with our clients to show them that the diversity of the slates that we present to them, they have choices of outstanding candidates, women and underrepresented groups, so they can get to parity. And our visionary companies get it. They really get it. So they're moving ahead. And those that are not are going to have a problem. And that's one of the reasons Women's Forum of New York honors companies that are at 30% or more women on their boards, uh, which we just did this in November. And when I hear those CEOs speak, they say they don't understand why other companies aren't there yet. The 30% is just the starting point. It should be at 40 and 50%. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to hear the progress and that these successful companies are figuring it out. So thinking about your role in uh, the executive recruiting area, how do you find the right fit? How do you develop that right slate? And how do you encourage your clients to pick those best individuals? Well, when clients come to us, Ella Group, they are absolutely focused on seeing a very diverse slate because they know that's what we stand for, diversity and inclusion, and that we will show them highly qualified candidates to fit different roles. So what we do, number one, is we understand our clients' needs, not just for today, but for tomorrow. What are they looking for? Where will the company be going strategically? What is the competitive advantage? What are the threats and um, obstacles and opportunities that they face. And then we really get to know them and ask them the questions so we understand what they're looking for. And when they are saying they want a diverse slate, we actually go into those communities uh, where we know that African-Americans will be referred to as Hispanics, women, Asians. We go into those different pools, but you have to go into the communities where others will know others like them. 
and they refer individuals to you who have those backgrounds, and then they become part of the slate. And then, you know, thirdly, you have to make sure that there's going to be a cultural fit here, right? So they may have the competencies and the skills, but in these different pools, you have to make sure that they're going to be a good cultural fit with that organization. This is not a science. It's an art of saying there's great talent out there. Where should we go look? Where should we target? Both in the corporate world, entrepreneurs, internationally, so many pools. It takes work. I have to tell you, sometimes it's harder because in those particular roles, maybe people haven't had as many opportunities in training. But for most of the roles, you can find great talent of females in underrepresented groups. Are most of those individuals, the talented individuals, are they looking for another opportunity? I mean, how do you get to the best of the best? So our clients that we represent, we really believe in them. Um, We're working with them, representing them. We are their ambassadors in the market. So when we take on a search assignment, my team and I believe in that CEO, believe in their mission, believe in what they're doing. And when I'm speaking to candidates who know us, we're not going to try and talk them into an opportunity that will be good for them. These individuals want to hear what's the compelling uh, opportunity for them. Why might this be something to be really interesting for them talent-wise? And, you know, John Maxwell wrote a, a great book about the three things that successful people do. And one is successful people have a purpose in life. So we look for people and candidates where we can help fulfill their purpose, right? So this opportunity may be one where really resonates with them in terms of what they want to do next in their career. And, you know, purpose-driven life, as you know, and how you coach people, right, is so fulfilling. When somebody's in that role that really resonates with them, they want to do that and they just want to learn more and do better and, and bring others up with them. So we're always searching for that individual where we can help fulfill their purpose with an opportunity for a great client. It sounds like you do so much homework in regards to really understanding your client, what they're looking for, and that you take so much pride in making that right match, which, you know, shows up in just your impressive results. So uh, thinking about our audience, and maybe we have some people in roles, and they're thinking about making a change, or they're aspiring to be in that C-suite or on a board, What should they be doing now? You mentioned purpose, but are there some other tips that you could give them as far as advice, what they should be doing to to continue to grow their career and be noticed? But, you know, I think honesty with oneself is really important. You know, you have to stop, reflect in terms of what you're doing each day, personally and professionally. And I think oftentimes having a coach is really very helpful. I think having uh, an advisory group that you go to, people you trust, who can give you good and honest feedback. And that's a very important thing is in terms of when you're choosing advisors, that they will give you good and honest and productive feedback. And I'm sure you advise people on this all the time, Diana. 
having people give you good feedback on how are you doing in the role where you are and, and bouncing questions off of them. Thirdly, attending different conferences, maybe getting outside of your comfort zone a little bit, that it's on the periphery of what you're doing, but not quite in your role, to see whether or not you want to experiment and go further and learn something different. It's always questioning, am, am I fulfilling my purpose in life? Is this really driving me? Do I get up each day and am I just driven to go do what I'm doing? That's very important to, to reflect on that periodically. I actually, getting ready for the new year, I do resolutions every year. My husband and I both do these. And if you don't write them down, they don't happen. So it's important to kind of put those resolutions down on paper in terms of what you want to accomplish personally and professionally and see how you end up at the end of the year and how satisfied you are. It's, it's about understanding and knowing yourself getting feedback from others you trust and opening the aperture a little bit and getting out there in the world, both by travel or by conferences or by meetings or by audible books, you know, uh, podcasts such as yours, learning what are other people doing that might be of interest to me. It has to fit with your DNA. It has to fit who you are as a person. You can't look at another individual and say, I want to have what he or she has or do what they're doing. It has to fit with what you, who you are. That's great, great advice. And it seems like things have shifted. I know in my coaching practice, I start with who is the person, you know, I'm interacting with and what do they want? What is their purpose? And so many times in the past, and maybe it was focused on us as women is you need to do these things to fit in. And there's a little bit of truth still to that. So, you know, you need to understand the rules a little bit so you can make the right decisions. But I think this the shift and focusing in on what do you want to do and what fulfills your life purpose and you know what gets you excited and jazzed up and play to your strengths is so critical today so that people can really show up and enjoy what they're doing and be the most productive uh, instead of trying to fit into a mold and I love that shift and allowing people to rise to the occasion and bring their whole self in. And I love the the focus. I do it all the time is having goals and deciding where you want to go instead of just letting it happen. When we start searches and then we're interviewing candidates, and of course, I, my team is with me in terms of looking in the marketplace, research, screening people. But the first question I say is, why, why is this position of interest to you? Why would this be your next move? Why do you want this? I, I want to hear what, you know, what's motivating them to make this move. And we have coaches on our staff who are certified in Hogan and other tools. We get down to final candidates. We use those tools to see what their values, what are their hot points? How do they show up each day? How does this fit with who they will be going forward? And of course, we do references on them too. So we really want to know them the picture of the total person. And we want that total person to kind of be honest with us about, because if this is not the right opportunity, I will look at them for something else, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that they will not be happy unless they go into the right role. And so th that's really key. And that's what we, we focus in on when we first interview candidates. Yeah. 
And there does seem like there is this openness to moving a little bit more than maybe when I was first starting my career, people just stayed with companies. And now, you know, people are keeping their eyes open and looking and making changes. And I think that really helps companies when they go in and they've got this background and different perspectives instead of being um, groomed in one organization. So, right. You know, we we are a part of an international network, too. So I've got partners in 35 countries. And oftentimes, if my clients are looking internationally, I will look to see who's overseas that I may want to move to the States or vice versa. The world is a big place. And so I, I encourage candidates to not jump at opportunities, but to evaluate opportunities as they're presented to them with through a search firm or somebody else. Because I think they do move uh, today more than, you know, like you said, 20 years ago when you and I were aspiring up that corporate ladder. And I think you have to also make sure you're moving for the right reasons, because oftentimes I'll be speaking to a candidate and they'll say, yeah, that wasn't my best move. I didn't really evaluate the culture of that company or the person. They'll say, I I made a decision, let me fail fast and move on. And that's probably the best thing to do is to not stay too long, but just say, you know, that was a career mistake. Let me move on to the other one. But before making a career mistake, really evaluate that opportunity. Is it right for you? Because the world's a big place. There's so much going on today in so many companies. There's going to be many, many changes occurring. We don't even know what the roles are going to be in two or three or four or five years from now, right? It's just changing so fast. Right. Yeah. And terrific advice as far as really evaluate every opportunity. And you brought up culture. We've done several episodes focused on cultural fit and making sure that you understand it. Sometimes we have people moving into cultures, whether it's geographically or the culture of an organization that isn't the best fit for them. And I don't know if we talked about that in the past, but I think that's a really important thing in regards to doing your homework and evaluating is looking at that cultural fit and and really making sure you're going in with your eyes open and you know what you're getting and and your advice is if it's not a good fit is really decide if it is something you want to continue to do. Exactly. How does this company operate on a daily basis? How do they communicate? It's not just the CEO, but it's your boss. It's the work you're going to be doing. It's how you work with peers. So you really want to look at the those operational aspects of the, the company and not the formal organizational chart, but the informal organizational chart. You may all be sitting in a room and everybody's agreeing with everybody and then they leave and nobody does what they were told to do. So talk to people who have left the company and find out. So what was it really like, you know? Yeah. I was going to ask you, what kind of things could somebody do to find out some of those more informal things or things that aren't, you know, listed on their websites? You mentioned talking to somebody that had worked there. And any other suggestions? Some of my candidates will say, I, I have spoken to people that have worked there, and that's probably not going to be the culture for me, or people that are currently working there, you know, that they know who have moved from their company. And they also go on Glassdoor, and they look at what employees currently are saying, you know, and then they'll come back to me and say, so I'm hearing the employees are saying, gee, the changes that are happening now are great, but why didn't they happen before? And and the communication still from the CEO and corporate are not there. So they'll want some questions 
answered before they go in and have further communications with that hiring manager. So Glassdoor is one of those places that people go to. And of course, there's a lot in the open press as well about companies. Yeah, ask the questions. And when I'm coaching people that are going in for interviews, that's one of the most important things is really come up with those questions to help you get the right information, information that isn't published, you know, to make sure you're making the best decision. If you're going in on a position and you're really interested in it, and you're finding that this is a company, gee, I really want to be there, you have to do your homework on the company. I recently had a position um, where three candidates, and, and one was the, the uh, a top one at the time, and she didn't listen to the most recent earnings report. This was for a finance position. Oh. That was not a good, not a good thing. You have to do your homework. You have to listen to earnings reports. You have to understand and go in with questions, but you have to be up to date with what uh, is happening in the company. Yeah, excellent advice. Not only for those that are going into a job, but I keep reminding my executives and aspiring executives within a company is you've got to stay on top of what's going on in your company, outside of the company, in the industry, if you want to be the most relevant and ensure that your company is going in the right direction. So great advice. Mm-hmm. So your last book was about helping people to identify signs of trouble in their careers. Could you share with us some of the most common signs that maybe people tend to miss or overlook? Well, when you're in meetings, you have to be participating. But sometimes when you're not being included in meetings, Mm. that's a sign. (laughs) You've not been invited to the meeting and you think you should be. Uh, When you're not being asked about what you would desire to be doing next in your career. If you're not getting regular feedback from your your boss, and you need to ask for that. I mean, I think that communications between you and your immediate boss are really important. But key assignments that are um, being awarded in a company, you want to be sure that you're in, in line and you're getting those. If you're not, that that's that's saying something. And if you're not around the table where decisions are being made, you're not in on the inside track. Of course, performance reviews, bonuses, they tell a story. But I don't think people should wait till the end of the year. I think that they need to be doing this on a weekly, monthly basis. It's sort of like, how am I doing? You know, former Mayor Koch many years ago would walk around the streets of New York City and saying, how am I doing? He wanted immediate feedback. You need to get regular feedback and know that you're in a good position. People do know when you're not on that memo or that email, somebody else was, but you're not. Those are some signs that I think are important to be paid attention to. Any other advice for people who maybe hit a trouble spot and how do they navigate through and continue to progress or how could they turn things around? Well, turning things around really comes from asking other people's advice. First, your boss and working with peers. People want to help people who have helped them. And hopefully in one's career, you, you've been an individual that others look to and say, a real team player. When I'm doing references on candidates, when I hear it wasn't about them, it was about 
us or the team or not even about his or her own team, but somebody else's unit. So I not too long ago placed a CFO and what the references were like, he helped other individuals get to higher levels. He helped other leaders be better leaders in a very positive way. People who are highly collaborative and then when you get into sort of a bind and something happens, maybe there's a change at the top and others will help you. So, you know, you need to be building your career so that you'll get help when you need help. If you haven't been giving help along the way, it's going to be harder to get help from others. So I encourage everybody to always help others with their objectives, their agenda, what they need to get done, because there, there are times when, Everybody needs the help of others. And that helping hand will come if you've been somebody who's been a helping hand to others. Lift others up and they will lift you up. But if there's a time when you think, okay, this is really, we're in a bad situation. We've been acquired. We're doing a downsizing. What can I do to make sure that I'm going to be in a good position? I would reach out to those that, you trust the most and you've helped the most and ask their advice for what you can do next to put yourself in the best position. And then also if you have a coach asking their coach's advice in one's career, having a high EQ and PQ political quotient as well, being politically astute, emotionally astute, obviously there, but, you have to read the tea leaves on the political arena, but not being political, but being politically astute, as well as having a high EQ. It's really important. Your antenna always has to be up in a positive way and making sure that you're treating others the way you want to be treated. You have to accomplish. You have to be seen as somebody that people want on the team because you don't try to get things done. You get things done, but you've helped others get them done, too. Wonderful advice. And and you touched on being politically astute. And I tell you, one of the things that really stood out, and it was a mind shift, actually a paradigm shift for me completely when I read your book, was about how you view being political. And I remember being a young uh, leader coming up in, in the company and not wanting to work in home office because I just felt like there was so much politicking going on. And that seemed to take over instead of focusing on what our customers needed or what we needed to move the company forward. And I remember reading that chapter and you kind of defined the politics of a company as the informal way that things get done. And you can use that for good in understanding how it works, or you can push against it, and it's not going to be a win. So maybe you could share a little bit about that, because it still comes up today when I'm coaching aspiring leaders, and they're like, I don't know if I'm cut out for the top leadership roles, because you really have to politic a lot, and I'm not like that. Well, I think that different companies have different levels of politics going on, okay? And I've been in the throes uh, of those organizations. Uh, like I was at Citigroup for, uh, and I helped take a company public from Citigroup. I did not find Citigroup 
such a political animal. You just had to know how to navigate and understand and listen to your peers in the in the different groups. I remember that if you did things wrong, we sort of would joke, you go into the penalty box, unless you really did something terrible. You went to the penalty box and you came back out, you know, and so you succeeded. Some might say it was political. I didn't think so at all. I mean, I just thought you had to understand people's egos, uh, not let them get in the way of making decisions and working together. You know, I think part of it is how you approach the organization and the organizational dynamics. Now, there's some that I'm sure that are highly political, and maybe that's not an organization where you belong, right? So you have to make that decision and say, this one is just too backbiting. And I, even if I listen, I, I can't you know, really make my headway here. So maybe there's some that you really don't belong in that culture, that arena. But for the most part, I think organizationals are made up of a lot of people wanting to do good. And if you have the right leader in the t- at the top with the right tone, and you're part of that leadership, and you then cascade that down through the organization, and you're listening and you're, you know, being politically astute and to what people are saying, and then um, navigating that maybe times sometimes with the help of a coach, you'll be just fine. And there'll be others where that that's really people aren't telling you anything that you can really rely on or it won't be credible. And that's those organizations that you don't want to be, be in. You have to look at the leadership at the top. What is he or she saying and how are they, they operating? But I, I, I think that everybody in any organization, if it's more than two people, you have to be politically astute. You know? If you're a company of one or two, that's fine. But if it's beyond that, everybody's working an agenda. Everybody's working to make themselves successful. Uh, And some are understanding that we all rise and and fall together. The boats rise at the same time if we are all successful working together. And that's that tone at the top. So I think you have to read the organization again in terms of how it operates and how people that you know there operate and whether or not that's a good cultural fit for you. But I think, again, everybody has to be somewhat politically astute. Yeah. And I like what you said. It's really about building relationships and helping each other and getting the honest feedback. Because I think sometimes people will label things political if they don't have all the facts. And maybe there's some key competencies or some key results that might be missing. And the more that you can have a culture where people are sharing and helping each other, like you said, most companies are made up of really good people. And it's just ensuring that you have the right information so that you can make the right decisions. You know, one of the things that I always did in corporate America was I would not write the email. I would go visit somebody and say, we've got to talk. We have to, we have to clear the air on this. You know, you want this, I want that. How can we work this together? If you have enough trust going on, you can do that. And that's what you really look to do is to build trust with your colleagues and you pick out those where you can build the most trust, and then they have trust with other colleagues. So it becomes interlocking circles, overlapping circles, and then people will help each other. Uh, again, you look at the, that tone at the top and what is he or she saying in their annual reports. Do people like working there? And again, not everybody is going to be suited for every organization. Take reality checks of 
companies by talking to people who have been there. And if you're in the organization, understand that you have a responsibility to communicate. Nobody's a mind reader about what your needs and wants are and walk down the hall and talk to people. If they're overseas, pick up the phone and talk to them. Nothing better than that personal touch. And that goes for those leaders at the top, since we both interact and coach those individuals too, is understand the shadow that you're casting. Everything you say and do does send messages to other people. So be aware of that and understand and have those people that will tell you and give you that honest feedback as well. Look, everybody has needs and wants in an organization. Everybody is going to be vying for the best assignment. You're not always going to get it. But if you remain emotionally cool about it, help others if they've succeeded and you haven't in a particular role, your time may may come down the road. And if it doesn't, then you move on. Uh, I mean, you have to be realistic about that, too. Terrific advice and insights. So who's had the greatest impact on your professional life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? Oh, I go back to my mother when I was very young, like 10 years of age. And my mother's words to me then were, you know, love what you do. I was the youngest of three girls. Stay close to your sisters and be financially. <laughs> yeah, stay close to your And that's why I'm so focused on uh, women in underrepresented groups. Stay close to your sisters and um, be financially independent. And so that was always for me that I wanted to have a career Um, And I didn't really plan my career. I was at medical center and then I was at Pfizer and then I was at Citigroup and I helped take the company public. And then I wrote my two books and then I went into search. It just was a sort of natural progression for me because it was about closing of deals, which involved people, making people see that they could fulfill their destiny, their desires, their purpose by putting them in the right roles. I did it in the corporate world. It's about talent, evaluating talent. And they used to call me the closer at Ambeck Financial Group, which was a spinoff from Citibank. I was really good at matching up people with the roles. And then when I was finished with my two books, I decided I wanted to help individuals aspire and talk to those that were in corporations. So that's when I went into executive search. And it all came really from Uh, that advice of my mother and then my two sisters who um, also had their careers, but my mother saying, you know, love what you do, Uh, find that purpose. She wouldn't, didn't say it in those words, but that was what she was telling me. And then always be financially independent, which I think is very important for women to make sure that they are always involved. And even if one has children, uh, certainly taking time off for that, but, being able to keep your toe in the water so that you stay relevant and involved. And when those children are no longer around the house, you're still part of the world. You stayed relevant. And I think that that's really important uh, for women today. And I think a lot are doing that. Yeah, Awesome advice. So what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? Well, Diana, you probably have been giving the best advice all along to many that you coach. Uh, and we talked about that purpose-driven. It's, you know, to thine own self be true. You, It sounds so cliche-ish, but I see a lot of people in roles that they're not happy in. 
so I think reflecting on as we're going into the year 2020, it's saying, look at life when you began and draw it to where you are today. And look at where big highs were professionally. And you could do that personally as well. What were the points where you were really happy and really fulfilled and really found great purpose? You draw, draw that line to where you are today and you spike it up and then you spike it down and you look at those years and what was that event that made you really fulfilled? It's sort of want to replicate more of that going forward. So it's an easy way to take a quick glimpse at your life and look at those wonderful spikes where you've worked really fulfilled and say, I'm going to replicate more of those, or I want to change it a little bit out of my comfort zone, but to have still that great sense of fulfillment. I would encourage people to do that as we go into 2020. That's wonderful. And as you know, you said earlier on is just taking that time to reflect where you are and where you want to go. Um, I coach individuals, especially women, you know, hope isn't a, a very good business strategy. You can't hope that it's going to all work out or you'll get the job. I think there is, you know, this piece about really planning it out and knowing what you want. So when you see it, you go after it instead of maybe going after something that isn't the best fit for you or, or aligns with your purpose. Yeah, I find people get distracted and then um, their dream becomes um, obsolete or becomes forgotten or they uh, go halfway. And I think if you can see it, you can be it. It may take you longer, but if you are tenacious and that's really what you want, then you stick with it. There will always be poles at your life. There will always be people who will... Um, maybe even try and pull you down and you can't listen to that. Or there may be responsibilities in your life that will take you away from what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, so then, then you get back in the game. But you stay in the game of life that you want because that's your choice. And then try and minimize those distractions and you'll get there. Wow. I'm so grateful for your time and for you sharing your expertise with our audience. How could our listeners stay in touch with you or get in touch with you and continue to learn more? Well, I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. And my website is ellagroup.com. And I'm at Janice at ellagroup.com. E-L-L-I-G.com. Then I have my podcast, and you can listen to those as well on my website. Uh, but Diana, thank you for this opportunity. And um, I think there's so much talent out there that uh, companies can tap into, and you're helping to make that happen. So congratulations to you as well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. After talking with Janice, I'm inspired to plan out my goals for this year, and I hope you are too. To recap, here are the key points I'd want you to take away from today's episode. 25% of board seats at Fortune 500 companies are currently held by women. Janice explained a reasonable plan to reach parity or a 50-50 split between men and women by 2025. It involves starting at the very top and cascading downward through the ranks into the pipeline. Leading companies have already realized that diverse leadership leads to better results. Having a coach or advisory board of people you trust to give you honest feedback is critical to long-term career success. 
As objective advisors, these type of people can help you to see whether you're realizing your purpose and continuing to grow. Before making a career move, do your homework on the culture of the company. Our poor decisions are often the result of a failure to access cultural fit before taking on a new role, and I urge you not to underestimate the importance of doing your research and understanding what you're really getting into. Invest in relationships. You will need support when you make a mistake or you get off track, and those people that you've helped in the past will be more likely to stand up for you when you need it. Don't wait for a bad performance review. Look for the little signs that you're off track, such as being excluded from key meetings. These should be triggers to turn to the people you trust and get some feedback. Politics are the informal way that things get done in companies. You can use this to your advantage if you understand the landscape, are a strong fit for the culture, and align with the people who are credible and want to do good. In high-performing organizations, we all succeed together, so look for the opportunities to help others and seek honest feedback. Find your purpose, love what you do, and make sure you stay relevant even when life demands that your career goes on the back burner or takes a little bit of a detour. It's particularly important for women that we don't opt out. Reflect on those times in your life when you felt the most happy and fulfilled and let that be your guide for where you want to go in the future. Thank you for listening. We value every single one of our listeners, and we hope that you'll help us reach more talent champions by rating and subscribing in your podcast player. Come back in two weeks as we delve into the topic of confidence, where it comes from, why it seems to be natural for some people, and how to get it if it's a struggle for you. If you aren't already a subscriber, join our mailing list at talent-champions.com to be among the first to know when new episodes are released and to receive bonus content from our guest. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show, please visit talent-champions.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out Franklin Covey's other podcast, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller and Franklin Covey on Leadership, available from your favorite podcast provider.